All right, so the scene that we see at the beginning of Genesis is one on page one of the Bible. Um, It says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then the next verses, and the earth was without form, and it was void. And I, I don't know about you, but that evokes the picture of a little bit of chaos, a little bit of disorder. And then you see for the next, the rest of chapter one, God ordering the chaos of the, the original way that things were, right? And so I don't know about you, but I don't flourish in chaos. I don't flourish when things are a mess. I don't know about you, uh, I, I, if you've ever walked into a room before, kind of opened up the door and then said, nope, that room's too dirty, and just closed it and walked away and tried to pretend like you didn't see what you just saw. Like, I don't know about you, but that's happened to me before. There's a game cabinet in our family den, and there was a, a couple times where our kids have got into that thing and, like, pulled open the Monopoly box, and, like, I can hear the groans. You know, you've picked up those pieces a thousand times before. Like, there's money everywhere, and there's, like, Uno cards mixed in with it, and just all of these things all over the floor. And me, everything within me was just like, yep, let's just burn it. Let's just close the door of the house, you know, take the insurance money, let's just leave it and start all over somewhere else. But there's a sense in which when, we, when things are rightly ordered, when things are rightly put together the way that they should be, there's a sense of calm that comes over you, right? Just imagine you just finished cleaning your house and there's the moment of like, yeah, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way chapter one of Genesis ends with this sense of calm and good. And this is Genesis 1, verse 31. This is what God says. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And then chapter 2 starts like this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. This is Genesis 2, if you're not already there. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on, the, on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. See, we live in a culture that is defined by work. Days one through six, we kind of get, we kind of understand because we live in a culture that's kind of defined by work. Just think about on the way in, if you met anybody new this morning, you probably asked them two questions. Hey, what's your name? And then the second thing was, what do you do? Like, what do you do for work? Like, are, we understand that. We kind of define ourselves by our work. And so any culture defined by work, uh, there, when we come to this passage in this section here on rest on the seventh day, we really don't really know what to do with it, some of us. Because if we're honest, some of us dislike rest. Some of us either idolize rest, we always just want something else, or we don't understand God's intentions for rest, and so we just don't know what to do with it. And so as much as I hate, like, typing people, uh, we're going to do that this morning. So, you know, do as I say, not as I do here. So uh, there's three types you're going to look at as far as, like, p- types of people. And uh, you got hardworking Harry, you got tired Terry, and average Joe here. So hardworking Harry, he's... The driven, goal-oriented, you know him, he's in your unit, right? He's scared that if he ever slows down, he's just going to fall apart. Like, inwardly, there's something in him that knows that if, like, if, he, if he takes his foot off the accelerator, he's scared that just the, the bolts are going to fall out of everything in his life. He never rests, he never slows down. He's got a nos in his hand and a monster in the other, right? He feels worthless if he ever does take time to be unproductive because his identity is tied to his work. 
And that type of person, they reject rest as inconvenient, and honestly, they just think rest is for the weak. And then you got tired Terry. We all know Terry. You already know who he is, right? He's walking around with that coffee mug. He's got like a holster on for his side. That It just says, but first coffee. He probably just finished his 16th like binge watching a Parks and Rec. He's always trying to like fit something into the whole of his life to fill this like thing that's going to fill me, that's going to bring me rest, something I'm going to try to do to make myself feel like I'm, I've actually rested, right? This person's always seeking in things for rest but never finding it through buying stuff or trying new things. They're dreaming of that perfect vacation, a place or scenario that will solve all of their problems, but they never find it. This is actually an idolatry of rest. Everything they do is talk about how tired they are all the time but, and all the things they're trying to do to meet themselves in rest, but really, they're just sacrificing their time, their family, or their better judgment trying to gain that rest that they can never have. And then you got average Joe, like the rest of us, right? Like most of us, he knows work and rest are important because the Bible talks about them. And so like, the Bible talks about it, it's got to be good, right? Work's good. Rest is good. It just has no idea what to do with it. And so I think that if we can all agree, each of these different types, however you kind of find yourself or see yourself reflected in, if there's one thing that we have to agree upon that's true, if there's anyone on the planet that's supposed to understand and enjoy rest as God has designed it, it's God's people. It's us. We're actually supposed to understand this thing. We're supposed to be the ones who understand what rest is. And the main point of today is simple. God welcomes us into his continual Sabbath rest through the completed work of Jesus. Now, it's good, right, and godly that, uh, that you guys are writing that down and penciling that out in your journal right now, but cards on the table, I don't want us to just write something down and say, okay, that's true, let's move on, good, good sermon, pastor. We need to do some work here. We need to ponder the scriptures together because it doesn't matter what I ultimately think about the Bible. If the Bible doesn't reflect what I think it says it means, it doesn't matter. We need to see it here. So we're, what we're going to do for the next eight hours, we're just going to go through, no, we're not going to do that, right? We're going to take a survey of the scriptures and see through the scriptures, and I want us to see uh, four main things today. So the four things we're going to do together, here's our roadmap. One, we're going to see what Genesis 2 through 3 is trying to tell us. Second, we're going to see what the Bible has to say about rest and Sabbath. And then we're going to see how this points us to the good news of Jesus. And ultimately, we're going to ask ourselves the question, we're going to slow down and say, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us today? We can have a lot of good points in a sermon like this, have a, God, a lot of good knowledge, but if it doesn't affect the way we live the rest of the days of the week, what does it really matter? What is this knowledge doing us any good if we can't apply it and do something with it? So that's what we're going to do today. So we're going to look back at Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 again. And so we're actually going to hone in on verses 2 through 3 because honestly, uh, my opinion is that verse, uh, uh, verse 1 there should have been included in chapter 1. And before you go throwing rocks at me about heresy, just remember that when Moses was writing, you know, Genesis, he didn't start chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, he didn't put those verses in there. He didn't put the chapter headings in there. Uh, tradition would tell us that the guy that was actually putting these, uh, the, the verses in the Bible was doing this thing on horseback, 
So I know some, there's like a lot of you guys that get in trouble for like texting and driving. This guy was like editing the Bible on horseback, right? And I can barely like walk and chew gum, you know, at the same time. And this guy is putting these helpful uh, little markers and indicators in Scripture so that I can say Genesis chapter 2, and you know what I'm talking about. We can reference the Scriptures well, and so we can cut this guy some slack. This guy did all right. So let's, let's start in verse 2. Verse 2. Let's hear what's repeated here. What really stands out as repeated. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So I don't know if you noticed, there's a lot of things repeated here. The words seventh day and the work that God had done. And so uh, th- if anything is repeated, if you're, you're good at just like reading in general, if something's repeated, it's probably important, right? And this is the Bible, so it's got to be really, really important. Actually, if you're a Hebrew, if something's repeated three times, that is of utmost importance. It's really, really, really important, okay? And so this seventh day, if you look at these passages in Hebrew, so just think about this for a second. If you look at these lines of text in Hebrew, verses 2 and 3, all stacked up on top of each other as it would have been originally written, at the exact middle of those sentences in Hebrew would have been the word, the seventh day. The seventh day, the seventh day, in the exact orders like that. And so Moses' emphasis is clear, the seventh day is really, really, really important. And so... Uh, if we know, we already know this is important, but what else does Moses have to tell us about the seventh day? What is he trying to tell us through what God actually did there? And so these will come up on the screen for us. I think at least these three things we need to glean from this. The first is God finished his creative work on the seventh day. So God worked on days one through six, forming and filling all of creation. And like a master artist or woodworker, he completes his masterpiece on the seventh day. The second thing we should see here is that God ceased from his work by resting. He didn't cease from his work by doing something else. He, he rests on the seventh day. And just to be clear, like, there's no indication that God rested here because he was tired, right? Like, God didn't need a nap. He wasn't like, oh, yeah, my back hurts from hanging all those, like, 70,000 billion stars the other day. Or, like, yeah, I've got a, you know, I, th- I threw my hip out, like, putting the mountains in place. That's not what God's doing here. He's not resting for that reason. This was a moment of backing away from his creation and ceasing from his labors. Like when you finish cleaning your house and everything is rightly ordered and exactly the way it should be, and then you back away and you say, this is right, this is good. And God actually says it's very good. And so it's, it's like when you finish a project and it's the, the, you know, that towel rack that you finally hung in your bathroom. And even though it's a little imperfect, it's a little crooked, you're like, that's the best towel rack I've ever seen. Like, that's what's happening here. It looks good, except what God is doing here is on a cosmic level. See, the, finally, the, the third thing we should see that Moses is trying to tell us is that God blesses and makes the seventh day holy. He blesses it. So Moses makes clear here is because God's rest on the seventh day that has been forever marked by God. I don't know if you've ever put your hand in cement as like before it actually set, but and then come back the next day after it was already set up, like it's it's gonna be there forever. That mark, that indication that you made in that cement. 
If you've ever seen that happen before or had the uh, ability to do that, wrote your name in it or made a put a handprint or something like that, think of this seventh day rest like this. God rested on that seventh day, and so it was forever marked by God because God rested on the seventh day. It wasn't that the seventh day was magical and God landed on it and he had to react to it. The seventh day was marked forever by God and it will always bear the mark of its maker. See, Moses uses the word holiness here, that God blessed it and called it holy, and that means to be set apart. Something that's holy means it's been set apart, it's different than other than. God himself is holy. He's holy in that he's set apart, there's nothing like him, he's unique in all of his attributes, he's unique in his character, he's unique in all of creation because there's nothing else like God. And then because God rested on the seventh day, this seventh day is to be treated as unique, to be distinctly set apart from the other days. And so when we're reading the Bible, we don't read the Bible in a vacuum. We don't just shut our Bibles after reading Genesis chapter 2 and say, that's all God means for me to, to, to believe about this seventh day is just what's written here. No, God gave us a whole Bible that tells us a lot about the Sabbath. And so when the Bible talks about seventh day rest, it's talking about the Sabbath, the Sabbath. In the first five books, the Bible, this, this, this kind of thing gets talked about a lot, but it actually doesn't get explicitly mentioned until Exodus chapter 16. Then after that, it's only officially instituted as a commandment from God, as a part of the, the Ten Commandments or Ten Words from God, to his covenant people in Exodus 20. So this will come up on the screens for us. This is uh, God telling his people of the commandment that he's giving them of the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you should not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, your sojourner who's within your gates, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." This command from God about the Sabbath is rooted in God's rest from creation like we've already seen already. This is about God's glory. That creation is to reflect the glory and beauty of God and so much so that God got calls this seventh day in reflection on that glory of creation holy. It has been forever marked by the rest of God. But this passage also tells us, this commandment tells us who the Sabbath is for. Who is the Sabbath for here? Answer, for everyone. And we need to remember that this is a different day and time where people didn't enjoy the equality that we now enjoy in this day and time, right? So God's saying that men and women and children and servants and animals, even the guests that are with you, are not only entitled to rest, but commanded to rest. This would be absolutely breathtaking. This is like the most progressive thing that God could have said about rest. Everybody gets in on this thing, right? So now we know who the Sabbath is for, everyone, but further reiterations of this commandment about the Sabbath throughout the whole Bible tell us more and more about what the Sabbath rest is all about. Here, Deuteronomy 5, verses 15, it says this, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Here God shows that the observation of the Sabbath should include remembering that there was a day when God's people could not take a Sabbath. 
where they could not rest. Now, there was a time where they didn't have the freedom to Sabbath, that their Sabbath was for remembering that God rescued them from their captivity, and that now God commands them to Sabbath precisely because they were denied rest. Then Exodus 31 comes along, and it really turns up the heat on the expectations for the Sabbath. You guys buckle in. This one, this one gets a little spicy. Verse 2 of Exodus 31. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. And this is a sign between me and you throughout all your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Sounded pretty good, right? Things we've heard before here, right? Here's where the temperature gets cranked up a notch. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that, shall, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, and on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall, be, shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. That escalated a little quickly. So the Sabbath is a really, really big deal. And the, the whole of Scripture is clear. So much so that everyone who profanes it, that word profane just means to treat something that's holy and sacred with irreverence and like total irreverence, kind of like writing it off, mocking it, those people are going to die. So God's command for his covenant people, the Jews, this, this Sabbath was meant for his glory and their good, like we've already seen, but it was to be considered in the highest of regard. It's to be holy, holy, holy. See, Israel was to be chosen by God to be a kingdom of priests, a signal light to the nations of the world to show the nations what God was really like, to exemplify God's intentions for human flourishing in the world. And so this giving of the law, this is intentionally, God knows what he's doing here. He's not giving us a, a law that they think that they can actually do in their own strength. He's giving them law that he knows that they can't do in their own strength. That doesn't mean that God is finished with his people. Ultimately, Jesus, the Messiah, Christ the King, would come from this broken, disobedient unable to fulfill these things about the law of people. We need to see how this points us to the good news of Jesus. The Sabbath has everything to do with Jesus because Jesus would not only free us to taste true rest and freedom from the law, but he would be the way that we would experience it. He would be the means that we experience this true rest. One day as, as Jesus' disciples were walking through a field on the Sabbath, they were plucking the heads of grain. So I don't, I don't know about you, but like, I like sunflower seeds. So just imagine what these guys are doing. They're kind of, you know, grabbing the heads of grain, popping them in their mouth, eating as they walk through this field on the Sabbath. And so just like most every other story in the New Testament, the Pharisees show up and they start trying to make a fuss here. They're like, see, see, Jesus, your disciples, they're breaking the Sabbath, they're breaking the law. But Jesus has some, 
has a pretty good comeback for him about a, a story about David doing some real shady stuff with the bread of the presence, right? Showing that their hero, their model, that they're claiming, that they're following, actually did something that would have been unthinkable on the Sabbath. And so what Jesus does here is he ends the story like this in verse 27 of Mark chapter 2. He says them to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So the, these claims from Jesus are actually breathtaking, and they show us the real purpose of the Sabbath, what the, the Sabbath is actually all about. The Sabbath isn't about rule following as much as it is about human flourishing, enjoying God as we rightly should. God's intention from the very beginning. And Jesus' massive, colossal claim here is that Jesus is the point of the Sabbath. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. So when we confuse rule following for actual enjoyment like the Pharisees did of the Sabbath, we lose the point of it entirely. It's like taking your kids to the pool and then lining them up to memorize the rules for two hours instead of actually swimming and then going back home. Just think of how ridiculous that would be. All right, kids, I'm just imagining like Levi and Pete, like Levi would be like doing laps and circles around me in about the first three seconds. There'd be no way that that would actually work. And my kids would just like hate going to the pool every single time we'd go because all we did was just memorize the rules every time we went there. See, this is, don't get me wrong, the rules are good. You know, the point of the pool is, you know, we've got to have rules so people don't kill themselves at the pool. But going to, the point of going to the pool is to swim, is to enjoy it, is to play in the water. Yes, there's good rules about that, about what to do and what not to do at the pool, but if only the Pharisees could actually see in this short story the irony here, what they are doing. They're actually working pretty hard to try to prove that these disciples are breaking the law on the Sabbath as the disciples simply enjoy God's provision through his creation. This is what we should do. The point of the Sabbath is to enjoy God. And this is the breathtaking claim that we need to see revealed through the scriptures today. That the very God who would rest on the seventh day to make it holy, leaving that lasting impression, would reveal himself as none other than Jesus of Nazareth. This Jesus was the one in the beginning resting on the seventh day. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And this Jesus would not only provide rest to the weary as he healed the sick and brought sight to the blind and proclaimed good news to the poor through the preaching of the gospel... He did that in his early earthly work, but he also did so much more. He went to the cross to remove our sin. He did the work of removing our shame from us on the cross. And at the end of that, like on the end of day six, he cried, it is finished on the work, on the cross. Our works are completed on the cross. And Jesus would rest again on the seventh day laid in a tomb. But unlike the first seventh day that had no morning or evening to mark its end, I don't know if you noticed, it didn't. Every other day did. Jesus would usher in a new day, a new day of new creation that's already here and coming and not fully come until he returns in power to judge the living and the dead. See, this is what Jesus has come to do. 
This is the offer on the table for us to come and feast and enjoy and rest in Jesus. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus today, believe this good news. You actually can rest from your labors. Are you like me? Sometimes you've got so many things going on, you, you, if you feel like you'd slow down, you'd just fall apart. The bolts would fall out of the car, everything would be laid, at, laid to bear, and you'd feel like your life was worthless. You feel like that today. No, you can rest in Jesus. Jesus has made a way to allow us to cease from our efforts and not feel worthless. Jesus is able to bring us true rest. Maybe you've just been looking for ways and things to provide rest for you. Maybe in looking to the th things that you can enjoy, things you could put in your body or enjoy with your body, you think are going to bring you rest and they only bring you pain, they only bring you sorrow, and you end up just regretting it the other six days of the week. See, Jesus actually comes through on his promises. He doesn't fail. Our rest in him actually satisfies because Jesus has provided a way for us to experience actual rest, and Jesus has shown the way to true rest, and it's rest in himself. Rest in himself. So we need to ask the question, what does that mean for us today? There's no place in scripture that makes this as clear as Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And so we're gonna spend the rest of our time there. Um, if you've got a Bible, turn there. I want you to see these words. I want you to read them on the page, turn to them on your phone or what, your iPad, whatever you got going on. Go to Matthew 11, verse 28. This reveals the heart of Christ for us to come and rest in him. And, and before I read these words, I want you to do something for me. Like, you know, keep your eyes on the phone, but I want you to imagine this. Imagine the most comforting person in the world. He's right in front of you in the most comfortable place in the world. Take yourself there in your mind. I know that these seats are decently comfortable, right? Just imagine you're in an armchair. You're in that deep spot of the couch, you know? And that person across from you Eyes are locked on yours. He knows the depth of your pain. He knows your highest highs and your lowest lows. It gives you a nod, understanding everything about you, and he says these words. Let's read these words. Come to me with a smile on his face. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And here it is. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, the King of all creation, stoops down on our level. He gets on our couch. He looks us in the eye and he says, I want to grant you true rest. That thing you've been looking for, that thing you've been hoping in, that thing you've been just wanting so much. I'm going to grant it to you, but this is not a rest that we can buy from a store. This is not a rest that we can earn because we've been good enough. This is not a rest that we can be so tiry, tired that we just deserve it. This is a rest he's granted to those people who will humble themselves and come to the only one who can grant true rest. See, there's a, there's a certain sort of desperation that we have to be honest with ourselves about to come to Jesus and find true rest. I think that so many of us want rest in Jesus, but we're not willing to really come to Jesus with everything that we've got. There's things we're holding back. 
There's things that we think is too much for Jesus, or not right now, Jesus. I don't want you to address that area of my life. I don't want you to touch that area. It's too painful. There's a certain desperation that we have to get to the end of our rope to be able to come to Jesus and be granted true rest. We've got to come to him with everything. Come to terms with the fact that we have heavy burdens and sins that need lifting. We carry an exhaustion that requires not just true rest, but eternal rest in Christ. But when we humble ourselves and come to Jesus, owning our inadequacies, we are met with his abundant grace. He's the well that never runs dry. He's the, never, he's the one that never comes with condemnation and guilt and shame just to throw it back in your face. He is the Savior who always welcomes you. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how dirty you feel or think you are, you haven't gone too far enough. Jesus welcomes you. Come. Come to me. All you who are weary, heavy laden, give you rest for your weary souls. We've got to be convinced this is the only place we can find it. And so for the rest of our time, I want us to get practical and talk about what this looks like for tomorrow. Because this sounds really good right now. Like my soul is like ready to rest in Jesus right now. I'm feeling really good. What happens on Tuesday night when your kid screams for three hours in the middle of the night? That morning, you want to be short with the people at work, or you get stuck in some bad traffic. What's rest like, look like then? Let's get practical together. I think we need to ask ourselves this question, no matter where you're coming from. Are you coming to Jesus for rest? Are you actually coming to Jesus for your rest? And if you're not, where are you resting instead of Jesus? You've got to be honest with yourself about this, folks. Honest with yourself. Honest with those areas of like, yeah, I'm actually more interested in Netflix than Jesus. Like, be honest about it. Like, get real with your community group about like, man, I really just, like, I want to just truly, truly, instead of actually go to Jesus, right? I just want to indulge in this thing. I just want to in, in, embrace this habit instead of actually Dress, resting in Jesus. Because remember, Jesus is the point of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. And if we aren't resting in him, we're going to be exactly like the Pharisees. See, we live in a culture that's, that worships and celebrates the weekend, right? You guys know it. Like everybody you work with, Saturday and Sunday, they can't wait till Friday, right? Finally Friday. That's what we want. But do we want Friday because of the things it brings or the opportunities to enjoy Jesus in those times, to, to find rest for our weary souls in those things. See, resting in Jesus means ceasing from our labors and consciously enjoying him. I'll say that again. Jesus, resting in Jesus means ceasing from our labors, the things that we do for work and toil, and consciously enjoying him. It means that not all rest means taking a nap, right? Resting doesn't just mean sleep. But come on, some of the times the most God-glorifying thing you can do is take a nap. Can I get an amen, right? All the tired parents in the room say a resounding amen. So I will say that. But resting in Jesus means stopping the things that are at work and toil for us and coming to Jesus for actual rest. And so we need to think about the things that are work and toil for you. I'll be honest with you, my, my things are right here. Email, <laughs> terrible, right? Work and toil, got to turn that off. I'm going to actually rest. Having, making hard, awkward decisions. 
I've got to turn that off if I'm going to actually rest. Doing my taxes, you know, like all that stuff. It's going to be work and toil for me. Turn it off if you're actually going to rest. Maybe for you it's just Facebook. Delete that app for a day. That'd be great. I thought maybe just everybody. Let's just do it. It's a movement. <laughs> nah. So <laughs> we cease from these things. But the Sabbath isn't just doing, and resting isn't just those things. It's not just ceasing from one thing. It's engaging in something else. It's kind of like repentance. When you confess your sins to God, you leave them there, you got to return to Jesus. That's what repentance really is. It's turning from one thing and facing something else. And we turn from our sin and face Jesus. So on the Sabbath and rest, if we cease the things over here, we're going to engage in something else over there. And so we need to think about the things that stir our affections for Jesus. What are the things that stir your affections for Jesus? Like reading your Bible, like actually uh, engaging in worship, singing. For me, it's like going on a hike, seeing something beautiful. I, you can call me a redneck or whatever, but I, like, I love hunting and fishing, but I, I, I caught myself there. Hunting and fishing. It's not hunting. It's hunting. That's where I come from. I do those things as an opportunity, as an excuse to get out in creation and enjoy God's beautiful work. It's, I, I just love it. One of the things that stirs my affections for Jesus as well is journaling my prayers to God. And so part of engaging here is actually doing something. Like resting isn't always just being immobile and inert, right? We don't all just like rest in, in, like in standard formation like on the Sabbath and just stay there forever in our beds. We don't do that. You got to do something. Why not create? Why not engage? Why not write and paint and build and garden? Uh, a lot of us work with our hands, and so it's good to rest with our heads. But if you're like me, I work with my head all week, and it's good for me to rest with my hands. I know Kylie's like, yes and amen in this. He's like, get out there and cut the grass. You know, please. That's actually good for us to engage in those things. And your list might be different than mine, and that's okay. But I need to reveal a, just a hidden danger in here that I've got to mention. This, this is me being a pastor here. It's possible to enjoy these things without giving glory to God. It's impossible to have a very good list of things that you do to engage in these restful things but actually without enjoying Jesus through these things. See, I know plenty of guys uh, who enjoy their hobbies at the detriment of their families. I know some people that know their Bible really well, but they don't date their spouse. And like we have to acknowledge that these things that God gives us as good gifts of creation are meant to help us see Jesus and enjoy him, and they require real work if they're actually going to be a means of enjoying God when we engage in them, and not just a deferment of something else. Because I gotta be honest, me and, me and my family, we do, I don't work on Fridays, that's our kind of Sabbath day for our family, so from Thursday night to Friday night, that's just earmarked for engaging with my family, engaging with Kylie. And that just didn't happen overnight. I just didn't choose to do that and like it be something that we're able to do really well. It took years of work because I'd come in skating in our family Sabbath day unprepared, having not prepared for it, having not done the work to be able to actually rest. You know what I did on those days? I stressed out. Stressed out about Sunday. I stressed out about not getting all my work done that week. I had to finish catching up on things rather than enjoying those things as I should have. Kylie and I were talking about this week that in order to engage in real rest, and if you're going to actually have a Sabbath, it requires days of preparation. You gotta have it. You gotta actually prepare for that thing. You gotta put in the work on the other six days if you're actually gonna rest on the seventh. And so, here's three things I just wanna leave you with quickly before we close. 
One, learn how to take a Sabbath. Two, learn what stirs your affections for Jesus and do it often. And three, learn how to adjust when seasons of life change. So I would actually encourage you guys, like start making steps towards taking an actual Sabbath. I would encourage you. I mean, Sundays in our Western calendar are normally pretty open for most of you guys. I know that some of y'all work on Sundays, but I consider treating Sunday as your day to enjoy God and rest in the finished work of Jesus. It's already a part of your weekly rhythm. We gather like this as a church, like this for a reason. My Sabbath is on Friday because guess what? I'm working right now. This is what I'm, this is my work. You know, I, this is not like a day of just enjoyment for me, right? I'm, I have to work quite a bit on Sundays in order for this to not just be a, a horrible mess. And so we, just to make sure that you guys are tracking, we're not under the Jewish law, and so we can use our freedom to determine when and how we practice resting in Jesus. We are not restricted to just worshiping on Saturdays as the Sabbath, as the Jewish calendar would say, but we worship on Sundays, this first day of the week, to celebrate the day of resurrection. Our calendar starts on Sunday, that first Sunday, so that we can celebrate the days of resurrection with us and gather like this as God's people, as his church. And so, again, you're not going to go from zero to 60. Uh, so if you plan to take next Saturday at, or Sunday as your 24-hour Sabbath, prepare to be disappointed, right? You just can't tell your wife, like, yep, I'm Sabbathing today, not changing any diapers. Or like, no way I'm touching that, you know, that's my Sabbath day. No, you're gonna, it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of effort to engage and get better at actually resting in ways that stir your affections for Jesus. And so it's going to take some time for you to, to learn those things. So two, the second thing you should do is learn what stirs your affections for Jesus and do it often. Like, this means that you might need to get some child care. You need to go away for a little bit and just get some time and figure out what stirs your affections for Jesus and do it often, but not at the detriment of your family. If you like the beach, you know, don't go out tomorrow and buy a loan and for a beach condo and say, my pastor told me to, I've got to learn how to rest. Don't do that, right? Within reason, pursue rest in Jesus like your life depends on it, because it really does. Because again, here's the danger. If you're not resting in Jesus, you're seeking rest elsewhere. You are. And so being honest with yourself about that, being honest in community about that is really, really important. And because those things are going to form addictions in your life fast. Addictions to substances, addiction to media, addiction to, I don't know, maybe it's naps. I don't know what it is for you. But those things will form patterns in your life. And so you need to learn to adjust when seasons of life change. See, when I was in college, I was able to stay up all hours of the night and just say, Friday nights, I'm going to do a prayer night until 2 in the morning with all my friends. I'm going to be engaged in five Bible studies a week. Just do all these things that stir my affections for Jesus. But guess what? I'm in a completely different season of life now, right? I've got responsibilities. I've got things I've got to take care of. I've got a job and so I can't stay up until 2 in the morning every night just praying or hanging out with people or having 18 different Bible studies a week. I have to be very careful about the way that I spend my time and engage with these things that actually stir my affections with Jesus. So we need to expect our, our situation in life to change. And so we, ex we expect our expectations for rests in those seasons of life to adjust accordingly. But here's the thing that we cannot give on. You can't say that because of my season of life, then I can expect no rest in Jesus. <laughs> That's a lie, folks. Avoid that. 
You can't say that. My life's too busy, so I can't rest in Jesus. That's a lie from Satan that wants to keep you engaged in something else. That you're finding your identity in your work. You're finding your identity in some other substance or other thing to fill the void that Jesus is only meant to fill. And the true rest that he can only bring is being filled with a substitute. You know what happens with that substitute? It's going to make you sick. It's going to make you engage in sin. It's going to ruin you at the end of all things. Here's the thing that we have to hold on to. While our expectations for rest might change, our expectations to be met with the rest that only Jesus can provide never changes. He never fails. Let me leave you with this verse from Isaiah 58. This is a promise from God about rest. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not going on your own ways or seeking your own pleasures or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. This is the purpose of the Sabbath, delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. This is the promise. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We can pursue our rest in Jesus because we have this promise to cling to. This is what God's going to do. He's going to make us look more and more like Jesus through actually engaging with Jesus in this because God welcomes us into his continual Sabbath rest because he has completed the work of salvation. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, may this be true of us, that we be made more and more and more like you, Lord Jesus, as we engage with you, as we engage in actual rest for our souls, not in just further toil, not in just meaningless, uh, uh, just disengagement. God, may we actively engage with you during those times of intentional pursuit of you, that as you rested on the seventh day and made it holy, will we treat our times with you? May we treat those opportunities for us to stir our affections with you. May we treat them with holy reverence, protecting them, keeping them separate, and, 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 and as opportunities for us to engage with you, Lord Jesus, because you are our hope, you are our strength, and ultimately you are the only way that we are to gain rest for our weary souls. May we be met this morning with that rest. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.